720 WGN. Hey there, it's Amy Guth. Thanks for being with me tonight and sharing part of your Saturday evening with me. Appreciate your time as ever. Always grateful to you for that. Well, all night we've been kind of looking ahead of the year to come and looking back at the year that was and in fact, the decade that was because we're changing into a new decade. And so we're joined right now by Van Mobley, who is a professor of history and economics at Concordia University, Wisconsin. Van, thanks so much for being with us tonight. I appreciate you taking time out of your Saturday to talk to talk with us. Oh, thanks for having me, Amy. Great oh, to be here. Oh, I'm uh, happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Oh, thank you. I, I isn't it strange? It just it feels like we were just just saying that. I feel like this year went so fast. I don't know about you, but I feel that way. I'm the same way. It, uh, maybe it's because I'm getting older. You know, I, I don't know, but it seems like every year goes by really fast. I think last year was a good year, uh, particularly in the markets. And uh, I actually expect another, uh, it'll be a tolerable year coming up as well, I think. Well, that's exactly what I want to talk with you about. You are the expert here. I love bringing in smart people to learn from them. So let's start with 2019. What in your mind are kind of the big, uh, kind of the big moments that, that had an impact on the economy in 2019? Well, I think that they, uh, the economy benefited from the continuing impact of uh, some of Trump's tax cuts and then also some of the deregulatory moves. I think the American economy is also just naturally resilient and it wants to grow. Americans are uh, ambitious and they work hard and they're constantly trying to come up with new ways to do things better. I think you add all that together and you get um, an economic uh, growth, which is what we've got. Uh, one of the things that I think that actually contributed a great deal to the economic growth is uh, Trump's tariffs. I know that a lot of people, uh, including there was a Fed study recently that said uh, Trump's tariffs would uh, were not helpful to the economy. I actually believe that they were. Um, and uh, for one thing, they sort of persuaded slash forced the Federal Reserve to, to prevent uh, or not to tighten too much too quickly, which is what the direction they were headed at the beginning of the year. But I think you had some fe- uh, favorable Federal Reserve policy. I think we had um, progress on the trade front, uh, continuing innovation in the American economy, and we get some good returns in the stock market and wage growth at the bottom end of the scale, which is what we've been looking for. And I look uh, for a lot of that to continue on in the new year. Well, I got to say, you have one of the sunnier outlooks I have talked with of any person dealing with economics. I feel like uh, so much of this year, particularly here in Illinois, has been focused on agriculture and the agricultural impact of the tariffs. And it seemed like, I mean, at one point, you know, we have we have a, a USDA official kind of pulled out of the line of duty when there was kind of an uprising and like a little bit of consternation. You know, I, I feel like there was there was a lot of push and pull in the agricultural sector in particular. So uh, you ha- but you have a very optimistic view of 2019, it sounds like. Well, I, you know, that's one area that uh, certainly there was some pain in the farming community. And I know that uh, particularly farm commodities like soybean and corn uh, suffered. As a matter of fact, I uh, grew up in a farm family, sort of. When I'm down here visiting my parents in Alabama, they have a farm. So I, I, there is no doubt that they have felt some pain there. But they've made some, uh, we've made some progress. I certainly hope the Chinese will follow through with some of the purchases on uh, sort of some of the soybeans and corn. I also think, you know, the Chinese have really suffered a lot from, um, from really the swine flu problem that they've had over there with all their pigs dying. And that actually impacts American exports of soybeans and corn because they buy our soybeans to feed to the pigs, and if all the pigs are dead, then they, they can't buy them. Even if we weren't in a trade war, they wouldn't have anything to do with them. 
But I hope that uh, that maybe they'll get that problem sorted out and uh, that some of the trade things we've had an easing of some of the tensions so that they'll be buying some more and we'll have an improvement in some of the commodity prices for the farmers. That would be nice. You know, interesting that you mentioned that. I have been thinking a lot about about that supply chain there, particularly with what we export to China, what what we get from China. And there seems like there have been some de- during this kind of standoff in the in with with tariffs and all that conversation happening around trade that some kind of reworking and reengineering has happened so that certain uh, commodities could be sourced from South American markets. Does that? Ha- I mean. I mean, I think there's a lot of fear going on about the long-term impact of that, of, you know, if you get a better price somewhere in South America, it's hard to recover that if trade is solved. What is the road out of that, or what does that look like in the future? Is that two different supply channels, or is that something else? Well, you know, it's interesting you bring up the South America, really, we're talking about Brazil, and we, um, you know, the Brazilians have just been expanding their soybean and corn capacity for the last 10, 15, 20 years, really. And um, while I am not as greatly concerned about the environment as some other people are, I do know that uh, it's not helpful to have the, uh, the Brazilians constantly cutting down more of the Amazonian rainforest so that they can... Uh, you know, grow soybeans, and then we have a glut of soybeans on the global market. And I do know that the uh, we have the potential for some improvement in the sort of relations between the United States and Brazil, and so that we don't, uh, you know, cut our own throats growing soybeans to sell to the Chinese. So I, what's one of the areas that I think that we can make some improvement in the new year is maybe talking to the Brazilians a little bit about uh, in the United States and Brazil, and we don't have to compete so much and actually maybe have some environmental, um, some in, in improvement in the environmental standing down there in the Brazilian rainforest. And I think that would be good for farmers in America, too. Yeah, very interesting thing. I'm always very interested in how many, uh, you know, if you take one economic issue, it, it stretches and there's so many paths out of it into so many other issues and stories that I think are so interesting. We're talking right now with Van Mobley, who is a professor of history and economics at Concordia University, Wisconsin. I got to be honest, Van, I, I expected a more Wisconsin accent. I wasn't prepared for your Alabama accent. <laughs> nice to hear it, though. I like hearing it. I'm from the South myself, so I was like, wait a minute, he doesn't sound Wisconsin to me. Well, I've been in Wisconsin since 91. I I, uh, I came to Wisconsin to go to graduate school at UW-Madison, and then I got married, and I met a woman there, and we got married, and we worked at a small school in Wisconsin. And actually, I've, so I've been there for nearly 30 years. I love the state. It's a wonderful place. The Midwest really entirely is my adopted home, but I will tell you this, and I'm kind of glad I get to come on the radio with you. Uh, my wife is, a, is an undergraduate uh, from Oklahoma, and I graduated from a high school in Baton Rouge, so we spent the afternoon watching Oklahoma play LSU, and um, she is really very sour and bitter, and I had to <laughs> hold my tongue the whole time and not say, go Tigers. And uh, so when it, you need to demolish this tape. Don't put a link to it, because if she hears me out here crawling about the Tigers, then I won't be able to sleep in the same bedroom with her for all right. of 2020. You're going to be kicked to the couch, Van, indeed. Well, you know, my, I my... My mom is an LSU fan, so she was she was quite delighted by the outcome of the game as well. All right, we're going to take a little break. Hopefully, hopefully your your wife's not listening, Van, to that part, and you're not in trouble about your sports allegiances. We're going to take a little break. When we come back on the other side of the break, we're we're going to continue this conversation with with Van Mobley, who is a professor of history and economics at Concordia University, Wisconsin, talking about the e- economic outlook for 2020 and big moments that 
2019 held that perhaps are influencing the year ahead. Back in just a bit on 720 WGN. 720 WGN, Amy Guth here with you till 10 o'clock. We've been talking with Van Mobley, who is a professor of history and economics at Concordia University, Wisconsin. We've been talking about some of the kind of big, big economic top topics of 2019 and where they're going to lead us in the year ahead. Van, there's been a lot of conversation this year about this idea of a looming recession. There were a lot of economists polled kind of saying, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen at this point, or maybe it's this. We saw a lot of dates being thrown around, a lot of financial quarters. What is your opinion on that going into 2020? Do we Should we still have our guard up for that? Is that still looming? Or, or are we kind of past that point a little? Or where do you fall there? Well, you never know what the future holds on an economic sense, but I think all the economic indicators are good. I actually look for a little better GDP performance in there, 2020 than we saw in 2019. And what we had in 2019 wasn't bad. This has historically been a very long expansion, um, you know, it's nearly 10 years now, starting stretching back into, you know, 2010, I think. And a lot of people, you, you hit the nail on the head, a lot of people have talked about, you know, why does this thing keep running along? Um, and I think that there are a number of things. The, the big one, I think, is, is really, um, I do, I have been a proponent, and I do encourage the Trump administration to continue with their uh, readjustment of the American trade policy. I think the trade, the American trade policy, particularly in the post Cold War era, was um, was inappropriate. Basically, we you know gave away the store, hoping that everybody would trade with us and become more like us, and, and they didn't. And so that was a theory that's been disproven. And now we need to uh, readjust our trading relations with uh, our trading partners. I think that we're doing that, and I think that that can be done in a way that will be good for them and us. And I'll give you an example: uh, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, which I think is has the potential to be a bipartisan agreement. Certainly uh, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats got input in it, as well as uh, the Trump administration. I hope it goes through the Senate. I think that that's a better deal for the North American continent than the NAFTA was, so I think it's an improvement. And I think that uh, we've, we're, we're on the cut. Well, we've made improvements with Japan. I think that maybe we'll be able to make a new trade deal with the, the British. That's the core of the American geopolitical and economic alliance system. I think as that comes into alignment, then uh, I expect growth uh, in our central allies. And then we're going to have to pick and choose about, you know, how we're going to adjust and and, uh, do our trading relations with other countries. I'm not keen on continuing the the relationship with China the way it had been uh, since uh, the 90s, and I don't think that we will. Uh, So it means that American businesses and and consumers are going to have to adjust. But I think that we're going to adjust away from the Chinese in a way that will be uh, very good for us in the long run, and I think in many ways we've already gone through the hardest part of that transition. And uh, so I look for uh, good things on that front. Not that I wish the Chinese ill, I don't, uh, but, you know, we're not going to continue to sell ourselves down the river to them for a bunch of cheap trinkets and baubles. And uh, that's not good for us geopolitically, and it's not good for us economically. Uh, I do see the consumer is very strong in the United States. I do know that wages are going up at the bottom tiers. That's very good. Uh, well, we have, if we can do some more, for example, to help people who have been left out on um, some of the, uh, the success we've had in, in the post-Cold War era, I'll give you an example. We haven't built as many smaller entry-level type homes in the United States over the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, the, the homes that were built tended to be at the upper end. 
And uh, I hope that that trend will will change going forward, and that will be a driver of economic growth if we can get people to really beginning to build your, you know, 1,500 to 1,700 square foot entry-level home that uh, working people can um, afford. I think that, you know, there's a pent-up demand for that. It'll keep people employed, and I, and I, I certainly I think that that's something to keep an eye on in the year to come. Yeah, you know, housing is a really interesting topic. I, at least once a week, talk about the housing market in various cities, uh, obviously looking here in Chicago. But I, I think it's been very interesting to watch what's happened in the housing market on the West Coast. Here you see, you know, where uh, the tech boom is around the Bay Area, and you see Seattle due to Amazon and, and even Los Angeles to some extent and, and San Diego. You see just just this so much growth, and suddenly they had to really, really hit the brakes. It did an interesting thing when you're looking kind of metro area by metro area and Chicago has always kind of done its own thing and it's always been a little bit of an outlier not quite tracking on national numbers which I think is really interesting to watch but uh, you know I, so I'm very interested to watch housing as an economic driver just because it, it has such a different character in so many cities and it's very difficult to talk about kind of this national blanket of it when when you have major metro areas driving it in interesting ways which so I just think that's a really interesting um, particular economic driver to, to kind of highlight. I, I, I think I agree with you. I think that we we tend for some reason we've been very obsessed with like the luxury high end. I feel like every condo sign in my neighborhood when condos are getting built, it says luxury condos. Everything's luxury. Like sometimes it can just be plain. It doesn't have to start there. So I think that's interesting. I think we do need to fix um, housing access and housing affordability because it seems like we're, we're making the like the for so long, we've been told, hey, the the way to financial security is to, you know, buy the starter home and then trade up. You got to own your own home. And I think that's that's so far out of reach for people, uh, younger people entering the job market, even up to, you know, like older, you know, older millennials that are still really like struggling to even get in that first place. Well, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And but also, I think, you know, uh, the, the nature of the, there's always an American dream, but the nature of the American dream sometimes changes. And uh, I think the American dream has been to buy the, you know, the entry-level home, and then you buy the more expensive home, and then you get a bigger and bigger home. But I really, um, one of the great things about being a professor is uh, you do get to talk to younger people, and that keeps you young, I hope. You know, that's one of the reasons why I do it. And um, But I don't know that going forward the American dream will be to own a huge, monstrous, you know, 3,000-square-foot home in the suburbs. It may be to, to never own such a home, but instead to own a smaller home. And so maybe the, your entry-level home is the home you want to live in forever. If it's nice, if it's quality, it just happens to be smaller, um, there's something to be said for that, and that may be the, the dream. I actually think it will be. I expect that we'll see continued uh, home price appreciation in the lower uh, price ranges and continued compression at the upper price ranges of homes in the United States. And uh, that has curious and interesting spillover effects as well. I mean, I was uh, I was just reading some reports that, like, Bruce Willis sold his home in Westchester County, New York, that he paid for $12 million for some years in the past. He, paid it, he sold it for $7 million. I know that certainly in the Milwaukee, which is where I live, uh, the homes that are a million dollars and up are just hard to sell. They don't move. And I think a lot of people who bought them at those prices are not going to be able to sell them at those prices, whereas the homes that are uh, at a smaller level are much, um, you know, they continue to appreciate. And I'll give you an example. Uh, when I bought my first home in 2000, 
my wife and I paid 150,000 bucks for it in a, a little, you know, some Milwaukee suburb. It was built in the 1950s. We almost bought a new home in 2007, sold ours and bought a new home, and then we didn't. So we're living in the same house, and that was the, probably the smartest financial thing that I've ever done because I think that my home is now worth around about $300,000. So I've continued to see appreciation in that modest home. And uh, I think that uh, if they built more along that scale, that would be what uh, would uh, – I think that's where the market is. I think that that's what we will do in the future. Hmm, I, I and I wouldn't, I, w- I wouldn't really want to own one of the bigger ones, you know, the million dollars and up in the Milwaukee market or the 750 even and up. No. Just because they're hard to sell. That's right. I mean, they're just they're just hard to sell. Yeah, you know, I, we talk about that a lot uh, on uh, during the week when I'm when talking about business topics so much. It, that comes up so much of, of houses that sold less than they sold even two sales ago. That, that's really stunning. So that's that. I think that's a really interesting point there. With well, I wish I had more time with you. I have so many so many other things I want to talk with you about as we're ticking down the clock here. Though, what to you is one of the things we should watch most carefully in the year ahead, particularly in the first quarter, just going into the new year. What what's kind of the big question mark in that first quarter for you well one of the, per- the things that i'm going to be looking at because I'm, I'm confident in the housing market and along the lines that we just discussed uh, i want to see some business investment and uh, you know that's when you get to the u.s mexico canada agreement i think that one of the things that would really uh, help us to get a three percent growth target is if we saw business investment and i think some of the business community the ceos and whatnot they need to understand that really um when they're thinking on the margin where they're going to make their next investment or whatever, if they're producing for the North American continent, they need to build it in the North American continent. So they need to invest in factories and plants here or Mexico or Canada or in all three areas. And um, and I look, I expect that we'll see that now that will help us continue this uh, growth. Yeah, I think there's a lot to watch in, in that realm, too, particularly in the tech sector. That's interesting to me. We saw some IPOs that just didn't quite go as planned or didn't quite make it to the finish line. I'm thinking about WeWork and things like that. So I think there's a lot of uh, kind of a lot of question marks around around uh, investment there. So lots of interesting stuff. Thank you so much. Van Mobley, professor of history and economics at Concordia University, Wisconsin. You can find him on January 17th. There's an independent business association of Wisconsin. They're presenting the 2020 vision. You'll be speaking there and everybody can, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, I'll be sure and tweet out a link to that so you can all go to that. Van, thanks so much for being with us today. Amy, it's a pleasure. You can always give me a call. I'm happy to, to join you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right, we're going to take a little break. Back in just a bit here on 720 WGN.